0: That seems to be the case, especially with uh, this section. It's a longer one. It's one of the more painful ones because it starts in an odd spot because it doesn't dive right in the the previous two syntheses. They got right to brass tacks. This one, not quite. uh, So we've been discussing uh, basically Oedipus uh, finally come to fruition, how Oedipus, uh, what Oedipus is, how it came to be, a handful of things around that. And they have just finished describing the Oedipal Matrix. So, with that, I'm going to go ahead and kick off the recording and we will get to all of this fun stuff. Uh, so, as always, thank all of you for joining us at the Deleuze and Guattari Quarantine Collective. It has been a journey. We have just passed our year. We've had our year anniversary since we started reading this book the first time, and we have grown a great deal since. Uh, I'm always asking everyone, please uh, follow us on Twitter. If uh, you are so kind, jump on Patreon. Uh, every dollar uh, hits us, and it makes us just a little bit better, closer to breaking even. Uh, right now, I think we're doing okay, we're not terrible. So it's a it's a good time. Uh, today we will be continuing our reading of. Uh, Anti-Oedipus, Capitalism, Schizophrenia, Section 2.5. We are going from the bottom of, I believe, 82. From there, we have it. And I'm just going to dive right in. I don't think we need too many announcements. There's only seven of us here, and no one on the recording is going to care. So I'm going to just going to keep going. No, any, any objections? Oh, 92. 92, sorry. I have a—the PDF does some terrible recognition sometimes. I have a symbol that I'm unfamiliar what it even is. It's a symbol
1: for a paragraph.
0: There we go. That makes a lot of sense. A paragraph two, obviously. Um, All right. Uh, There we have it. The The incurable familialism of psychoanalysis, enclosing the unconscious with an Oedipus, cutting off all vital flows, crushing desiring production, conditioning the patient to respond, Daddy Mommy, and to always consume Daddy Mommy. Thus, Foucault was entirely right in saying that, in a certain sense, the psychoanalyst completed and perfected what the psychiatry of 19th century asylums with Pinel and Touc had set out to do, to fuse madness with a parental complex, to link it to, quote, the half-real, half-imaginary dialectic of the family, an quote. to constitute for the madman a microcosm symbolizing the massive structures of bourgeois society and its values relations of family-child, transgression-punishment, madness-disorder, to arrange things so that disalienation goes the same route as alienation, with Oedipus at both ends, to establish the moral authority of the doctor as father and judge, family and law, and finally, to culminate in the following paradox, quote, While the victim of mental illness is entirely alienated in the real person of his doctor, the doctor dissipates the reality of the mental illness in the critical concept of madness. Luminous pages. I do think it is worth reading the footnote real quick because it's Foucault. Uh, uh, I believe this is from Madness. Am I wrong on that one? I haven't looked it up at the very end. Let me yeah,
1: check It's on. in History of Madness yeah, Histoire de la Folie.
0: Um, so the quote goes, and it is to the degree this degree that all 19th century psychiatric really converges on Freud, the first man to accept, in all its seriousness, the reality of the physician-patient couple. To the doctor, Freud transferred all the structures Pennell and Tuch had set up within confinement. He did deliver the patient from the existence of the asylum, within which his liberators had alienated him, but he did not deliver him from what was essential in this existence. He regrouped its powers, extending them to the maximum by uniting them in the doctor's hands. He created the psychoanalytical situation where, by an inspired short circuit, alienation becomes disalienating because, in the doctor, it becomes a subject. The doctor, as an alienating figure, remains the key to psychoanalysis, perhaps because it did not suppress this ultimate structure and because it referred all the others to it. Psychoanalysis has not been able, will not be able, to hear the voices of unreason, nor to decipher in themselves the signs of the madman. Psychoanalysis can unravel some of the forms of madness. It remains a stranger to the sovereign enterprise of unreason. That works. Uh, So I'm going to take a crack at uh, this paragraph. Uh, This is them basically summarizing uh, the early sections of this uh, section, where... They're talking about essentially how the subject comes to be, and they've been discussing about how psychoanalysis has been utilizing what Freud taught and a handful of other things to bring about the edipalized subject, how it happens, how the familialism of psychoanalysis comes to enclose and crush the desiring machines, the connective and disconnective sections of them. In this final section of the desiring machines where the subject is produced, it's incredibly important they go over this. Uh, This is why they discuss this sort of uh, to an extreme end uh, throughout this uh, section, driving towards so people can understand that this is Oedipus conditioning the patient to respond, daddy, mommy, and to always consume daddy, mommy. That's the part that is incredibly important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think your analysis is, um, I think you're spot on there. We can walk it out a little bit more, too, though, because of the engagement with Foucault, right? So they're expanding this now to say not only that, right, there's a way in which mental illness is actually edipalized, right? So there's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a raising of the states, but there's now an extension of that states, too, right? Because now we're not just talking about uh, edipal power relations and that, right? I kind of move this over through Foucault to talk about how uh, even mental health and these diagnoses, Right there's kind of an idealized understanding of them.
0: Yeah, I like I like that as well. It's a everything basically from uh, bourgeois society and its values is is I think one of the really key sentences of this section of this paragraph uh, to constitute for the madman a microcosm symbolizing quote the massive structures of bourgeois society and its values relations of family trial transgression punishment madness disorder the the commentary they're starting here and i think they've made it to this point as well is uh, not so much that oedipalization is something that is determinant in human nature but instead that freud has basically done the work of these you know people who came before in psychiatric institutions to try to make these people fit into bourgeois society to make these uh, people who could not fit in drive towards that and this thing he has created is essentially that the 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 structure of the bourgeois society and its values made into a representation that can create and modify the subject. Um, uh, responding to daddy mommy and consuming daddy mommy. Guess uh, what's the difference between the two? Um, the when when you have dealt with the representation at this point. You basically are forced uh, within Oedipus to not only say, yes, I recognize that my boss is daddy. I recognize that my, uh, uh, my wife is mommy. Uh, fuck, Freud is weird. Um, it, you, you start recognizing the, everything you start consuming becomes daddy mommy the same time you respond to things as daddy mommy as well so it's not just that you're consuming everything as one of the trinary it's also that you're repeating that everything is one of the trinary if that makes sense as a large uh if that if that's a i think that's a fair way to put it
1: yeah and we can kind of we can expand brooks's analysis there if we put it into the syllogisms and the paralogisms right so, the consumption during the, syllog- uh, during the third synthesis, right, syllogistically so is consummating in consumption. We kind of saw with this idea of simulation leading up to now. And this is kind of what Brooks is um, contrasting here, right? Because with Oedipus, you get later on, they're going to just call it like the, the master signifiers, I think the one they go with. But there's a way in which that subjectivity gets um, represented. And in that sense, it's responded to in that way, right? So the, the subjectivity of the subject of the unconscious, gets it's kind of this tension, right? Where on one hand, it's not being produced that way. The subject is being produced in this kind of simulation um, in the Deleuzean and Guattarian sense. But in contrast, there's a signifier
2: um, that represents what it should be in a certain manner of speaking. Kind of uh, reminds me a little bit of the contrast between uh, Taoism and Confucianism within Chinese thought. Sort of like uh, the the foundation or like the starting point for understanding uh, both of them is the, the 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 focus on the family within Confucianism, right? So in the Analects, Confucius would say, uh, "Exemplary persons concentrate their effort on the root. For the root having taken hold, will grow them." As for filial and fraternal responsibility, it is, I suspect, the root of authoritative conduct. So like the underlying assumption in Confucianism is that people are more likely to give themselves unconditionally to their families than any other institution, so that the family provides the model process of making one's way in the world. Uh, So promoting the centrality of the family within Confucianism is an attempt to ensure that like uh, entire persons without remainder are invested in each of their actions. Uh, It sort of serves as like a a locus for growth within uh, Chinese culture. Everything is like a family relation that starts with the family and expands outwards.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair. I think um, I would also add, uh, just to make a final point on it, because I wanna make sure uh, this is really clear. The thing that they're ultimately fighting against is this idea of transcendental representations. Uh, And Oedipus is one that is transcendental. It's one that uh, in classic psychoanalysis and even in Lacanian, it's assumed that this trinary, mommy, daddy, me, is essentially what everything is actually formed of within the psyche, that this is the determinant nature. And that illusion, that setup, uh, they're saying, uh, to quote, uh, Edipolization begets a basic illusion that makes us believe real desiring production is answerable to higher formations that integrate it, subject it to transcendent laws, and make it serve a higher social and cultural production. There there then appears a kind of unsticking of the social field with regard to the production of desire, in whose name all resignations are justified in advance. Uh, It's an earlier quote from the book but uh, I think very relevant here. Does that help, Remke? And then uh, I will continue because uh, I do want to get through this section sometime in the next two months. Uh, Let us add that by enveloping the illness in a familial complex internal to the patient, and then the familial complex itself in the transference of or the doctor-patient relationship, Freudian psychoanalysis made a somewhat intensive use of the family. Granted, this use distorted the nature of the intensive qualities in the unconscious. Nevertheless, it still respected in part the general principle of a production of these quantities. When it became necessary once again to confront psychosis directly, however, the family was immediately reopened in extension and was, in itself, considered as the indicator for measuring the forces of alienation and disalienation. In this manner, the study of the families of schizophrenics has breathed new life into Oedipus by making it reign over the extensive order of an expanded family, where not only each person would combine to a greater or lesser extent his or her triangle with the triangle of others, but where the entirety of the extended family would also also, also would oscillate between the two poles of a healthy triangulation, structuring And differentiating and forms of perverted triangles bringing about their fusion in the realm of the undifferentiated. It's a continuation of how we were talking about uh, just a moment ago the way that uh, Oedipus affects the psyche, uh, the way that psychoanalysis has brought in sort of all of that to wrap around the way that the psyche works. Anyone have comments or questions on this paragraph?
1: I was too busy making jokes about uh, perverted triangles, but yeah, I'll give it a shot. Um, So this is something you see particularly in Guadari's early work, but obviously flowing out here is an engagement with alienation that isn't exactly the standard Marxian engagement, right? So if we look at the footnote, because I think this helps really walk out what they're doing in the second paragraph, right? To the doctor, this is Foucault. To the doctor, Freud transferred all the structures Penel and Tuch had set up within confinement. He did deliver the patient from the existence of the asylum, within which his so-called liberators had alienated him, but he did not deliver him from what was essential in this existence. He regrouped its powers. It stained them to the maximum by uniting them in the doctor's hands. He created the psychoanalytical situation where, by an inspired short circuit, alienation becomes disalienating because in the doctor it becomes a subject So there's kind of two or three moves for Poe's making here right the first is to say that through a sort of recontextualization right the confinement of the asylum and the prisoner gets reconfigured into the psychoanalyst and like the um I, I would say the clinic, but I guess that it's more appropriate here just to say like the, the therapeutic session, right? With that, right? Uh, one of the role, one of the functions of a prison is a kind of alienation, right? So, here we have an alienation moving with the subject, that is changing a little bit here, right? So now we have, uh, whereby alienation becomes disalienating because. In the doctor, it becomes a subject. So alienation, I think, is moving here from being like a feature of confinement to actually becoming um, kind of a subject, right? So if we go back to subjectivity and consummation, this is kind of interesting because it almost looks like the, the psychoanalyst isn't necessarily creating alienation, but now is treating alienation as its subject, right? So it kind of takes us back to here we don't just have Oedipus as subject; we have Oedipus as subject and uh, alienation as subject, right? So we have the two kind of fusing here.
0: Well, I would I wouldn't necessarily say it's not like Marx's alienation, because I mean I I tend to sort of put it with that the uh, the arguments Marx makes, for example, of Luther, uh, Luther uh, brought freedom by removing the uh, hegemony and you know rule and you know, love of those who were directly the people in power and the structure of the church. But then he re everyone by moving them straight over to the basically subservience to scripture. Uh, he does, he, Mark says, just like this, Adam Smith does the same thing with labor, turning it from one thing to being this emancipatory project, and then suddenly turning around and basically remaking everyone a slate to capital. This, I think, is they're saying essentially the same thing is happening here, but with Freud. Where on the one side, Freud does this great thing where he's like, hey, it's not this, you know, it's not like how people used to think about this. We've got, you know, desire and libido and all of these complexities. But also, uh, you know, let's actually crush everything back in and make you a slave to Oedipus. Uh, So it's like emancipation and then immediate reslavement in the same turn.
1: Yeah, I think you have a good point there because it's focusing on alienation and disalienation as a kind of process here. The, the thing about Mar it really depends how you're engaging Marx though, because if you take it in terms of like the real man, which is like more Marxism, perhaps.
0: No, no, no. I, I yeah. boast, Gerd, I'm going to just quote you because uh, it's probably the best way to say what I'm saying. Why go to the extent of trapping the patient in the four walls of the institution when you can trap them in the three sides of the familial triangle? It's free real estate. It's spot on. That's spot on. And it's that sort of. That that horrifying thing that happens as, you know, Oedipus it really does, really didn't, It 1800s asylums are the, the things of horror stories, like they really are. Uh, but 1900s psychiatry, while not being necessarily that horrific, is in its own way. And this is kind of the conversation I think they're having here. I have to reclose close my door again because my damn dog keeps opening it.
1: Yeah, I, I do see what you're getting at. Especially if we go to that second part of the Foucault quote, right? The doctor is an alienating figure. So, I, I think the, the big thing we're zeroing in on then is this process of alienation and disalienation, right? Which is interesting that's being conceived. Usually, we just talk about alienation, but now we're talking about kind of an ebb and flow of it.
0: I'm sure what was ever said in my absence was brilliant insightful. I thank you for it. I will continue. Jacques Hawkman analyzes some interesting varieties of psychotic families under the same fusionist postulate. The properly fusionist family, where differentiations are no longer made except between the inside and the outside, those who are outside the family. The divisive family, that establishes blocks, clans, or coalitions within itself. The tubular family, where the triangle multiplies endlessly each member having its own triangle that interlocks with others without ones being able to discern the limits of the nuclear family. The foreclosing family, where differentiation is both included and warded off in person of one of its members who has been eliminated, rendered null and foreclosed. I'm just going to continue. Those are examples of uh, families that within their own structure still utilize the triangle, but have broken a handful of things and are kind of fucked up. Uh, But every time I read tubular family, all I can think of is like, Surfing. I don't know why. I have a weird vision with that. Uh, am I missing anything here? Is this a... Yeah, it's TMNT. It's 100%. It's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, excellent. Rock, excellent. We can understand how such a concept as foreclosure operates within this extensive framework of a family where several generations, at least three, form the condition of fabrication of a psychotic, as, for example, when the troubles a mother has with regard to her own father lead to the son's inability, in turn, to even posit his desire toward his mother. Whence the strange notion that if a psychotic escapes the Oedipal apparatus, this is solely due to the fact that he is doubly embedded there, to the second power in a field of extension that includes the grandparents the problem of the cure then becomes rather similar to an operation of differential calculus, where one proceeds by way of depotentialization in order to rediscover the primary functions and reestablish the characteristic, or nuclear triangle, always a holy trinity, the means of access to a three-sided situation. It is clear that this extended familialism, wherein the family receives the very forces of alienation and disalienation, carries with it a renunciation of the fundamental positions of psychoanalysis concerning sexuality despite the former conservation of an analytic vocabulary a veritable regression in favor of a taxonomy of families this is clearly visible in the projects of community psychiatry or of so-called familial psychotherapy which effectively break apart asylum existence while nonetheless still maintaining all the presuppositions of the asylum and basically renewing the thrust of 19th century psychiatry, according to the slogan put forward by Hawkman: quote, From the family to the institution of the hospital, from the institution of the hospital to the familial institution, a therapeutic return to the family, end quote. Feels like something I could see on, like, Ben Shapiro. It's a, it, it, is, it is a gross passage, most Gerd, but this is, I think, their, uh, this is their point, is over time as we've started, uh, especially within, you know, psychoanalytic field, but is not just psychoanalysis anymore, uh, as they'll come to sort of explain the nuclear family has become something much larger, uh, and it's something that has pervaded our culture, but specifically in this paragraph, they're talking about this, the same change over time, how uh, the cure then becomes rather similar to an operation of differential calculus where one proceeds by depotentialization in order to rediscover the primary functions and reestablish the nuclear triangle. So you take a person who's doing stuff that's not normal and you go, oh, well, you're supposed to be like this. Let's shove you into that that triangle. Uh, Always a holy trinity, the means of access to a three-sided situation. Um, And it is, I mean, to me, uh, and maybe I'm misreading. To me, this is uh, very similar to the arguments you hear amongst modern conservatives and some libs, uh, actually a lot of libs, um, who make the argument about how, you know, in the modern state and the place that we're at, uh, we need to find a way to keep the family together and we do anything we can for the family. Uh, it's a not abnormal. If you've ever had someone who's gone into rehab who's a family member, that's what it's about to them, is returning people to... The family as a healthy individual who can interact with the family in a healthy way. And uh, this, uh, I, I've had uh, my cousin who passed away uh, a number of years back, uh, went through a lot of this. And it's the same stuff we heard from people around him. So it's uh, not fun and super gross.
1: Well, I think that's interesting too, because I think that starts to put what Foucault means by alienation becoming the subject into perspective, right? So we're not talking about just the family or the person or, or whoever you are. We're we talking about uh, those things in terms of an alienation of the subject. So even with the slogan, right, from the family to the institution of the hospital, from the institution of the hospital to the familial institution, a therapeutic return to the family. That suggests to me we're talking about how alienation here is actually moving through the circuit, which, again, is interesting because it's not a it's not a personal alienation, is it? It's, it's a rather
0: interesting remark they're making. Yes, and uh, Eli makes the point, uh, quote, seems like we're getting towards the family triangle being a kind of atomic structure for analyzing bigger structures through the lens of Oedipus. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, I I will add to that also. Um the the thing to keep remembering is one of their big pushes with the unconscious that we've gotten to already is that it operates like production and not some random production but like production at large. Uh that to them there is no, you know, veritable difference between the molar and molecular, the unconscious and society at large. The way things operate is a matter of essentially scale, not so much a matter of real difference uh, as far as the, the actual sort of underlying operation. So what we are getting to the point of talking about Oedipus, it's absolutely about how this structure is going to be something that is much larger that we consistently run into and vice versa. It's the larger structure that also impinges upon the smaller structures. It's, a, it's Oedipus all the way down, baby.
2: Mathematically, uh, on a plane... When a triangle reproduces itself, it just divides the plane into more triangles, like infinitely, the same way a square is just a square of
0: squares. Like that. All right, Uh, to continue. But even within the progressive or revolutionary sectors or institutional analysis on the one hand, and anti-psychiatry on the other, the danger of this familialism and extension is ever-present conforming to the double impasse of an extended edifice, just as much in the diagnostic or pathogenetic families in themselves, as in the constitution of therapeutic quasi-families. Once it has been said that it is no longer a matter of reforming cadres of familial and social adaptation or integration, but rather of instituting original forms of active groups, the question arises as to what extent these core groups resemble artificial families— and to what extent they still lend themselves to Oedipalization. These questions have been analyzed in depth by Jean Uri. They demonstrate how revolutionary psychiatry broke in vain with the ideals of community adaptation, with everything that Mad Menani calls the adaptation police force, since at every moment it still risks being thrust back into the framework of a structural Oedipus, whose deficiencies are diagnosed, but whose integrity is restored a holy trinity that continues to strangle desiring production and suffocate its problems. The political, cultural, world-historical, and racial content is left behind, crushed into the Oedipal treadmill. This is because psychiatrists persist in treating the family as a matrix, or better still, as a microcosm, an expressive milieu that provides its own justifications, and that, however capable of expressing the action of the alienating forces, Mediate them precisely by suppressing the true categories of production in the machine of desire. Uh, this is basically an answer to Eli and saying yes. <laughs> I always love when we talk about something and it ends up like literally the next paragraph. Just
1: to provide the footnote here, the French word, "aliénation" means both social alienation and what we English speakers call mental derangement. Obviously the authors aim at discrediting the distinction between the two terms. Translators note.
0: It's good to know. Um, the really important line in this paragraph, uh, like the whole thing's interesting and it's worth, uh, if you're interested in such things, uh, such as the sort of genealogy of uh, psychoanalysis at this era, uh, I'm not sure about genre being super worth the time, but I found Mad Menani to actually really expand my understanding of the stuff that was in the baggage that uh, Deleuze and Guattari brought with them when writing this book. Um, there seems to be a lot more in sort of that. Uh, but the really important line here that I want to focus on is uh, the political, cultural, world historical, and racial content is left behind and crushed into the edible treadmill. Uh, that
2: That sounds like uh imperialism or like colonialism right like you 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 hear sort of like this like my roommate i don't want to talk too loud about it says like about like uh like about like black lives matter he's like oh why can't they just integrate into society you know what i mean but like he, he doesn't know what he's saying is like why can't they just like give up their culture and accept the way we want them to be in society. But like it, it feels like this, right? Like Oedipus is like the way that people's history and culture and like racial society is crushed and triangulated and colonialized. And it's like, uh, I feel like a lot of it's, it's that
0: you, it's that you yourself are a contingent subject. I guess they're going to get a lot into this, and you already know that. I know I know where you're, you're going with this, especially with the idea of the imperialism of Oedipus being kind of an important, I think, section title. But, like, you are contingent as a person. You're built on the political, cultural, world, historical, and racial content that is the thing that made you up. Now, family is a part of that. I mean, it would be asinine to say that the people who raised you, especially in a society like ours that is so focused on the nuclear family, like my son Dexter... Like, he's got mom and dad, especially during COVID. Kind of his world is a triangle. It's the nature of it. But he's also got generalized cultural, world, historical, and racial content that he is dealing with and is watching on his stupid little, like, kids shows and cartoons and things that are other coming in. what Oedipus does is crushes all of those contingent experiences into this very particular family, di- family dynamic. And suddenly everything... All of that shit has to fit in there. It's not that you're from a certain country. It's that the relationship you had with your father, uh, the the relationship you had with the king of your previous country or your tribe leader or whatever culture you came from, it's that it really resembles your father and we need to have a better relationship with our father. It just crushes everything down. Even, I mean... Not to like say white people matter too or anything, but like even with any random culture that's also white, my existence is also contingent and complex, but being forced to grab everything down and just right into that nuclear family triangle fucks all of the contingent realities of our experiences. And you're not, I don't think you're rushing ahead. Like this book is, uh, this book, if you actually were to map out the ideas, I've made the joke that the. First sentence is the first paragraph is the first section is the first chapter is the book. But then if you think of it like this consistent loop, things are popping in and then they go back to the beginning and then they go further. And it's basically them building out these concepts. They're going to, and yes, they will get into the literal imperialism of how Oedipus moved into other countries and how capitalism traced it and did all of that. But I don't think you're jumping ahead. Their point here is very much that, that as people uh, their political, their cultural, their world historical, and their racial content, the the lived realities of their experience and their desiring machines, it all gets tossed out. None of that shit fits in a family dynamic. When you're dealing with your parents, your racial background doesn't matter. Your parents, uh, in in this system, not in mine, I'm just saying about how this works, your racial dynamic doesn't matter. You don't have like a racialized relationship with your parents, generally speaking. Uh, you don't have a political difference, like cultural, world historical, all that shit doesn't matter. You were born, you have, you want to fuck your mom, you want to kill your dad, we need to fix that. All this other stuff, eh, throw it out. And and those things are, uh, and it's the last line, uh, those things are the true categories of production in the machines of desire. And that is what Oedipus is suppressing, is is that setup. This is how I've, I've read, I'm reading this paragraph in this section, it's uh, really, really powerful shit to me. So
1: I suppose the one thing is um, so when we're talking about like the, the race race here and all that, we've just got to keep in mind that during the third synthesis, that production and that subjectivity, right? So we're not talking about race as something inherent to the person. Um just wanna make sure we keep this in mind that we're talking about the unconscious producing race in this manner mm-hmm. and the subjectivity yes, yes. of that. So that in that way, it gets uh, caught up in the treadmills, they're saying, because it's like a process of production, right? Like a treadmill running that uh, if you've ever seen the cartoons, right? gets stuck and everything. I'm thinking of like Looney Tunes here, right? Where it gets stuck at the top and everything comes down and done right there at that blockage because it's what the family does in this sense. It produces a blockage.
0: I will continue to the next paragraph, which continues this. <sighs> It seems to us that such a viewpoint is present even in Cooper. In this respect, Lang is better able to disengage himself from familialism thanks to the resources of a flux from the Orient. Cooper writes, quote, "'Families mediate social reality to their children. If the social reality in question is rife with alienated social forms, then this alienation will be mediated to the individual child and will be experienced as estrangement in the family relationships.' For example, he may say that his mind is controlled by an electrical machine or by men from outer space. These constructions, however, are largely embodiments of the family process, which has the illusion of substantiality, but which is none other than the alienated form of the action of praxis of the family members that literally dominates the mind of the psychotic member. These metaphysical men from outer space are the literal mother, father, and sibling, who sit around the breadfix table with the so-called psychotic patient. End quote. Even the essential hypothesis of anti-psychiatry, which ultimately posits an identity in nature between social alienation and mental alienation, must be understood in terms of a maintained familialism and not in terms of a refutation of this familialism. For it is to the extent that this family microcosm, the family social indicator, expresses social alienation that is it is believed to organize mental alienation in the mind of its own members or its psychotic member and among all members who is the real psychotic Uh, i'm not super familiar with cooper uh
1: so we we this we kind of neglected to walk this on the previous paragraph but now they've moved into how anti-psychiatry and some of the movements that um and since they get into like Reich and that, right, even some of the Frankfurt school that was trying to take this on, because they'll talk about Fromm and others elsewhere, right, they actually end up kind of recapitulating the Oedipal problem, right? So when they talk about Maud Minoni and this adaption uh, of the police force, right, like they're talking about how, like, even anti psychiatry, um, focusing on Praxis, even, uh, Oedipalizes it. I
0: think that's fair. Thank you. And I do think they spend a little bit more time uh, going through some of their other contemporaries uh, who were uh, trying to make changes in psychoanalysis. I know they're going to beat up on the con a little bit, but uh, we're going to see more of that as well. But I will continue. With his general conception of microcosm macrocosm relationships, Bergson brought about his, his Lou here. Ah, Lou's going to be so sad. Um, Bergson brought about a discrete revolution that deserves further consideration. Likening the living to a microcosm is an ancient platitude, but if the living organism was thought to be similar to the world, this was attributed to the fact that it was or tended to be an isolated system, naturally closed. The comparison between microcosm and macrocosm was thus a comparison between two closed figures, one of which expressed the other and was inscribed within the other. At the beginning of Creative Evolution, Bergson completely alters the scope of the comparison by opening up both ends. If the living being resembles the world, this is true on the contrary, insofar as it opens itself to the opening of the world. If it is a whole, this is true to the extent that the whole of the world, as of the living being, is always in the process of becoming, developing, coming into being or advancing and inscribing itself within a temporal dimension that is irreducible and non-closed. Bergson's so fucking great. Bergson is so fucking great. Uh, We have a Bergson reading group. I cannot suggest you join it more. Uh, This idea is very borne out in a lot of his writing and again, plays into what we're going to come to understand as the molecular and the molar or The way that they view how the individual and society at large uh, work together or are essentially parts of the same system open to each other. As they say, if the living being resembles the world uh, insofar as it opens up to the opening of the world, if it is a whole, this is true to the extent that the whole of the world is always in the process of becoming. It's a wonderful connection they're making here.
2: Bergson Group, Thursday, 10 a.m specific time we're starting chapter two of matter and memory beginning the examination of memory
0: i'm going to leave a awkward pause here if uh, anyone has anything to ask or say because it's this is tough this is tough stuff this is okay to ask a question i'm happy to sit and be uh, awkward for a minute through a pause I'm, i enjoy them fair enough i will continue on
1: Just to make a quick note before you do them, it's worth keeping in mind why they're going into this microcosm, macrocosm relationship, right? So the previous, uh, I guess the last two sentences in transition to this paragraph, right? For it is to the extent that the family microcosm, the family social indicator, expresses social alienation, that it is believed to so-called organize mental alienation in the mind of its own members or its psychotic member, and among all the members, who is the the real psychotic, right? So there's a certain micro-macro relationship between the familial and the social, or between the unconscious and the familial, perhaps more directly, that they're playing on here to show, like, the closed system relationship in terms of, like, the paralogisms, right? And then the syllogistic relationship that they're trying to open up, or more so, to say that the model itself is already kind of open, right? With these blockages, it becomes closed.
0: Well, and I think uh, that actually leads us right into the next paragraph. So I'm just going to dive in. Uh, remember, we're talking about uh, the being being the, the singular being being open to the world and the world being open. We believe that this is also true in the case of the family society relationship, there is no edible triangle. Oedipus is always open in an open social field. Oedipus opens to the four winds, to the four corners of the social field. Not even 3 plus 1, but 4 plus N. A poorly closed triangle, a porous or seeping triangle, an exploded triangle from which the flows of desire escape in the direction of other territories. It is strange that we had to wait for the dreams of colonized peoples in order to see that on the vertices, on the pseudo-triangle, Mommy was dancing with the missionary, Daddy was being fucked by the tax collector, while the self was being beaten by a white man. It is precisely this pairing of the parental figures with agents of another nature, their locking embrace similar to that of wrestlers, that keep the triangle from closing up again, from being valid in itself, and from claiming to express or represent this different nature of the agents that are in question in the unconscious itself. When Franz Fanon encounters a case of persecution psychosis linked to the death of the mother, he first asks himself if he has, quote, to deal with an unconscious guilt complex following on the death of the mother, as Freud had described in Mourning and Melancholia, end quote. But he soon learns that the mother has been killed by a French soldier, and that the subject himself has murdered the wife of a colonist whose disemboweled ghost perpetually appears before him, carrying along with it and tearing apart the memory of the mother. Uh, As worth as a quick note, uh, Frantz Fanon was a wonderful writer in occupied French territory. So uh, he is on the other side of colonialism. So to continue, it could always be said that these extreme situations of war, trauma of colonization, dire poverty and so on are unfavorable to the construction of the Oedipal apparatus, and that it is precisely because of this that these situations favor a psychotic development or explosion. But we have a strong feeling that the problem lies elsewhere. Apart from the fact that a certain degree of comfort found in the bourgeois family is admittedly necessary to turn out Oedipalized subjects, the question of knowing what is actually invested in the comfortable conditions of a supposedly normal or normative Oedipus is pushed still further into the background. Um, the France Fanon reference here is, I think the entire point of the, like the last six chapters. I think it puts it very nicely. Uh, he starts, he's got the, uh, the patient, uh, the guy, uh, is upset about his mother having passed and has persecu- persecution psychosis due to this death. Now with Freud, we don't ask kind of a lot more questions other than what was your relationship with your mother. And let's talk about that. But at some point he he realizes, oh my God, the mother was killed by a French soldier. Uh, I'm going to assume that this was a, a black man, a black mother, and black man. Uh, I just because it's I think probably true. French were not very nice in their colonies. Um, so now it's but well, wait, the French soldier is the one who killed. And I've actually killed a colony. The the patient has dealt with things at a social racial social historical level that is actually part of this entire thing. So the question is uh, for him, wait, is there more to it than just simply what me, daddy, mommy, me is? Is there something larger? Uh, this is their argument. And I think it's a pretty convincing one.
1: Yeah. It's definitely interesting their engagement with Fanon here, right? Cause it, it's nice how they're showing us that tension between, um, Oedipalization and kind of the the unconscious itself, right? So you've got the tension of edipalization that produces something like the the question of the guilt complex and that, right? The uh, as they say later on, right? The conditions of comfort in a bourgeois family that are kind of um, placed in the background, right? Or sort of um, sort of obfuscated here, obscured, that at the same time kind of produce something of a limit right where we can see this this tension at the boundary right where the unconscious for the subject phenomenon here is um is pushing back and being pushed upon by the uh by sort of an oedipal i'll keep it simple by like edipalization here right the two are conflicting here
0: um. Yeah, and I think I'm going to just add. Uh, we're going to start seeing them making a lot of commentary, uh, as I said, about other theories around how Oedipus works, or psychoanalytic values, or anti-psychiatry, as we just went through. Uh, some of them are very subtle. Uh, I think because uh, it's at Lacan, the not even three plus one, but four plus n is the uh, is it is to me. I think it's a direct dig at the idea of the. phallus and how it works within Oedipus as in Lacanian psychoanalysis. So, it's Lacan tried to break down Oedipus uh, uh, pretty substantially, actually, by removing it from being directly the mommy, daddy, me thing, but instead making it symbolized and adding the phallus and some other stuff. Uh, But their argument is like, that's not far enough. It's actually four plus N. It's everything it's every direction is open and we have no idea how many things are touching into this it's the four plus n
1: well that the point you get brought up there does get really interesting because we'll see this in the coming sections where they're actually going to say like the first so it, the first paralogism is the transcendent palace right the third is the master signifier i mean i believe in the second they say is the law of the father i mean they're there's a way in which Lacan opens up a lot of space for this kind of ontological engagement, but there's also a way for Deleuze and Guattari that the paralogisms. It's kind of that point where they like they get kind of. It's not even just daddy, mommy, me, right? Is it? It's you know like now we have the law of the father where it's somehow even more overbearing than the global person. My uh, my intuition tells me Ken has a comment.
0: So we will let Ken type for a moment, so apologies to anyone. It's going to take a second.
2: I don't remember uh, if it's later in this book or in uh, the other Capitalism and Schizophrenia book, A Thousand Plateaus, where they talk about the Oedipal Triangle and specifically reference uh, like fractal triangles, for instance, like the this snowflake fractal, how each side is constantly opening up in its middle to create like the new lines uh as sort of like the way Oedipus is constantly opening and closing.
0: Uh, Ken's I, comment uh real quick saying the S1 is signification as such and that sense is not as great as signification makes the phallus a non-existent nail in the fantasy coffin. Uh, you're gonna have dude, dude, you're like so deep in Lacan I can't like Jesus Christ. I'm gonna to have to read that like six times to understand it. I know I wish you could speak too. Um it's okay. Um we'll come back to it. We'll have to come back to it because I I'm gonna to have to reread that. That's I, I can't. My brain can't do that right now. That's switching gears too hard for me. Sorry. All right, I'm 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 gonna move and we will uh I will have that running in my head as I read the next section. <sighs> The revolutionary is the first to have the right to say, Oedipus, never heard of it. Oedipus barely knew her. Sorry. Um, For the disjointed fragments of Oedipus remain stuck to all the corners of the historical social field as a battlefield and not a scene from bourgeois theater. God, the stupid text recognition. I'm going to reread that. Uh, The revolutionary is the first to have the right to say, Oedipus, never heard of it for the disjointed fragments of Oedipus remain stuck to all the corners of the historical social field, as a battlefield and not a scene from a bourgeois theatre. Too bad if the psychoanalysts roar their disapproval at this point. Fanon pointed out that troubled times had unconscious effects, not only on the active militants, but also on those claiming to be neutral and to remain outside the affair, uninvolved in politics. The same could also be said with respect to apparently peaceful times. What a grotesque error to think that the unconscious as child is acquainted only with Daddy-Mommy, and that it doesn't know, in its own way, that its father had a boss who is not the father's father, or, moreover, that its father himself is a boss who is not a father. Therefore, we formulate the following rule, which we feel to be applicable in all cases. The father and the mother exist only as fragments, and are never organized into a figure or a structure able to both represent the unconscious and to represent it represent in it the various agents of the collectivity. Rather, they always shatter into fragments, they come into contact with these agents, meet them face to face, square off with them, or settle the differences with them as in hand to hand combat. Very quick version of this uh, paragraph is, uh, yes, again, uh, mommy, daddy, all of these things matter to a, to a child who's going formative. However, they don't exist as this all-encompassing thing that everything goes into. Daddy is not all of the things related to the law and get fed into him and then down into me. Mommy is not the uh, you know opposing side of that with everything fed in, fed into me. Instead, mommy and daddy exist as singular touch points, uh, partial objects, you might say, uh, fragments, that uh, other things from outside of the family uh, collide with all the time and are constantly in battle with, sort of to have determination of how they're represented, how they're dealt with, how a child or someone growing, uh, it forms them into their unconscious. That's how I read that. All right. Uh, I'll continue. It, the, the point, I think, is continually made into the next paragraph as well. Uh, the father, the mother... And the self are at grips look give me two seconds sorry i have to fix the pdf it's all broken up stupid thing while you're
2: doing that i think uh the last sentence of the previous paragraph reminded me of something i was reading in brian Massumi talking about anti oedipus and sort of like a residuum or like remainder of forces after like there's been an interaction, right? So it's like the meet meet them face-to-face, square off with them and settle the difference with them as in hand-to-hand combat. So like when two things interact with each other, one's going to become content and the other is going to become expression, right? So like uh, there's going to... Sorry, I, I don't have like the Misumi book in front of me, but there's like a, a remainder of that uh, interaction of forces and this just like reminds me of that. So, like, things aren't what they were before they interact with another thing. So, like, daddy interacting with the boss becomes, like, the residuum of the daddy-boss interaction is all that's left, which is just, like, a sign that the interaction
0: happened. Right. No, I think that's a really good way of putting it. Um uh, to say, uh, Michael says in the original French, a hand to hand combat, uh, which ends the last paragraph, isn't quite right. It's a core, it's body to body, is the implication, which I think is significantly different. That actually has significantly different connotations than simply hand to hand, which seems to be about battling and fighting, whereas body to body is uh, essentially two things slamming against each other <laughs> until. Uh, one falls, or until pieces break apart. Uh, interesting. All right, now I am going to continue to the next paragraph. Uh, the father, the mother, and the self are at grips with and directly coupled to the element of the political and historical situation. The soldier, the cop, the occupier, the collaborator, the radical, the resister, the boss, the boss's wife. Who constantly break all triangulations and who prevent the entire situation from falling back on the familial complex and becoming internalized in it. In a word, the family is never a microcosm in the sense of an autonomous figure, even when inscribed in a larger circle that it is said to mediate and express. The family is by nature eccentric, decentered. We are told of fusional, divisive, tubular, and foreclosing families. But what produces the hiatuses who and their distribution that in ten, indeed, keep the family from being an interior? There is always an uncle from America, a brother who went bad, an aunt who took off with a military man, a cousin out of work, bankrupt, or a victim of the crash, an anarchist grandfather, a grandmother in the hospital, crazy or senile. The family does not engender its own ruptures. Families are filled with gaps and transected by breaks that are not familial. The commune, the Dreyfus affair, religion and atheism, the Spanish Civil War, the rise of fascism, Stalinism, the Vietnam War, May 68. All these things form complexes of the unconscious, more effective than everlasting Oedipus. And the unconscious is indeed at issue here. If in fact there are structures— they do not exist in the mind, in the shadow of a fantastic phallus, distributing the lacunae, the passages, and the articulations. Structures exist in the immediate impossible real. And Witold Grombrowicz says, The structuralists, quote, search for their structures in culture. As for myself, I look for them in my immediate reality. My way of seeing things was in direct relationship to the events of the times. Hitlerism, Stalinism, Fascism, I was fascinated by the grotesque and terrifying forms that surfaced in the sphere of the interhuman, destroying all that was held dear until then. Another great paragraph continuing that same overall point. Uh the, the family is not the limits, the family is just the closest, sort of naturally and contingently to the child as it grows. The reality is we have extended families who have all of their own stories and we get to see how the world impinges on them just as we do with our parents, as we do with all sorts of events that are happening around us that we can't hide from and that aren't filtered through the lens of Daddy, Mommy, Me, but instead uh, allow us to sort of have these secondary or you know full experiences that are constantly battling within our unconscious as to how the structures operate. Uh, the last point here, the big one. Is um, again the uh, going back to what is the point of a lot of this? Uh, Oedipus in classic psychoanalysis is considered a structure uh, and a harsh one at that. Everything must fit into it. If you do not fit into it, as they've discussed, you are basically cast aside. Uh, you're told you either are going to be oedipalized or you're going to be out into the realm of you know, nothingness. How awful! And they're saying here nope uh nope these structures do not exist in the mind in the shadow of some phallus Uh, structures exist in the immediate impossible real and that i think is a significant push inside of the rest of this section before i move on is there any comments or things Uh, mm, yes uh, ken has the line uh, I like the point that the unconscious isn't all in our head, but has some sort of endurance in the world. Complexes, complexes are social and real. And that last thing I'm assuming, uh, cause I know you can hear me. I'm assuming you're putting in quotes because it's, uh, we're not talking about the real, like the thing, but there's a material reality to the complexes. I think is how you're saying that. Give me a thumbs up if that's the case.
3: Um,
0: because it's a really interesting way to sort of talk through the complex is not structured directly in the unconscious. It isn't my uh, my mind that's necessarily doing it, but that the complexes exist contingently with all of the experiences, things that surround us and, and, and stuff going on, the shit around us, the structures that we are actually in, uh, not so much inside of ourselves. And that is a fascinating way to start talking about how schizophrenia how psychotic behavior, how perverse behavior comes to be, that it isn't something that's wrong with me, but it's a series of contingent things that are within myself and outside of myself connected in the real quote unquote world. I really like that too.
1: And I, I think I follow you there. The thing I want to point is uh point out though, is like with the unconscious and the subject, right? Like it's not when they say like, um, when we say you, we're talking about the subject of, um, we're talking about something in terms of the three syntheses, right? An unconscious production. So when they're talking about the unconscious, like they're, it, it's not that personal, right? Because we're talking about the unconscious as an orphan, which is what the familialism does. So like the engagement with Oedipus here, even when I think about like uh, where Freud talks about interpretation of dreams, I think this is kind of I think this is a really good take on it because it's it's talking about how Oedipus affects the unconscious, right? So like even in Freud where Oedipus kind of affects what's going on between the ego it and the, the superego at large, right? That's kind of how they're engaging it here. And I think that's I think it's a very interesting sort of harmony with Freud in that sense, but also like an expansion into structures where you get that in the impossible real, right? So that kind of play on the con here.
0: Hellenists were right to remind us that even in the case of worthy Oedipus, it was already a matter of politics. They are simply wrong in concluding from this that the libido has nothing to do with any of it. Quite the contrary, what is invested by the libido throughout the disjoined elements of Oedipus, especially given the fact that these elements never form a mental structure that is autonomous and expressive, are these extrafamilial, subfamilial gaps and breaks, these forms of social production in conjunction with desiring production. Schizoanalysis, therefore, does not hide the fact that it is a political and social psychoanalysis a militant psychoanalysis, not because it would go about generalizing Oedipus in culture under the ridiculous conditions that have been the norm until now. It is a militant analysis, on the contrary, because it proposes to demonstrate the existence of an unconscious libidinal investment of social historical production direct from the conscious investments coexisting with it. Proust is not wrong in saying that Far from being the author of an intimate work, he goes further than the proponents of a populist or proletarian art who are content to describe the social and the political in willfully expressive works. For his part, he is interested in the manner in which the Dreyfus Affair and then World War I cut across families, introducing into them new breaks and new connections resulting in a modification of the heterosexual and homosexual libido in the decomposed milieu of the Guermantes. For example, the line that matters here, and it's where we're finally starting to see the title of this section. It's uh, only twenty pages in. That's all. Um, The conjunctive, uh, the the uh, conjunctive syntheses of consumption consummation. Uh, The word conjunctive finally said, uh, These forms of social production in conjunction with desiring production. uh, That. That is the libido. What is invested by the libido is this. Throughout the disjointed elements of Oedipus are the extrafamilial, the subfamilial gaps, and the breaks these forms of social production in conjunction with desiring production have. This is the line that matters here. Fair enough, Michael. Uh, people are correcting me on my pronunciation all the time. I take it. Uh, Guermante, fair enough, fair enough. I ang- no, don't be sorry. I anglicized the shit out of everything. You should see some of like I've stopped doing it out of embarrassment generally, but uh, some of it's really terrible. Like I skipped cowpier cow cow-peer, cow cow-peer, I'm gonna say cowpiers, and that's gonna be uh, with breaks. Cowpiers is gonna be how I pronounce that from now on. I'll me- I'll meme it, but but anyway, this is how I understand this uh, section is the line. Uh, it's right in the middle, halfway through. Uh, Calpure, C O U P P U R E S. These forms of social production in conjunction with desiring production. Desiring production in conjunction with the extrafamilial, the subfamilial gaps, these things that occur as part of this sort of larger tapestry of social and immediate experience and the structures that you immediately grasp. The things you are in direct relationship with uh, absolutely uh, appear because of uh, the way that they work in conjunction with design production, uh, any, I, I'm happy to move on, uh, if anyone has a comment or question or anything like that, but it's a pretty straightforward conversation. I think there are three French book titles coming. I will, I will do my best, uh, It is the function of the libido to invest the social field in unconscious forms, thereby hallucinating all history, reproducing in delirium entire civilizations, races, and continents, and intensely feeling the becoming of the world. There is no signifying chain without a Chinaman, an Arab, and a Black who drop in to trouble the night of a white paranoiac. Schizoanalysis sets out to undo the expressive Oedipal unconscious, Always artificial, repressive, repressed, mediated by the family in order to attain the immediate productive unconscious. Yes, the family is a stimulus, but a stimulus that is qualitatively indifferent, an indu- inductor that is neither an organizer nor a disorganizer. As for the response, it always comes from another direction. If there is indeed a language, it is on the side of the response, not the stimulus. Even Oedipal psychoanalysis recognized the indifference of the effective parental images, the irreducibility of the response to the stimulation performed by these images. But it contented itself with understanding the response by starting from an expressive symbolism that was still familial, instead of interpreting it in an unconscious system of production as such, an analytical economy. Going to continue, because it's just easier. The great argument of familialism is, at least in the beginning, this argument may be explicitly formulated, but it also persists implicitly in theories that nevertheless refuse the viewpoint of Genesis. At least in the beginning, this argument runs, the unconscious is expressed in a state of familial relations and constellations where the real, the imaginary, and the symbolic intermingle. In this conception, the metaphysical and social relations arise afterward in the manner of a beyond, and since the beginning always proceeds by twos, this is even the necessary condition for rendering escape impossible. A first pre-Edipal beginning is invoked, the primitive non-differentiation of the most precocious stages of the personality in the relationship with the mother, then a second beginning is invoked. Oedipus itself with the law of the father and the exclusive differentiations that this law prescribes at the heart of the family. And finally, latency, the celebrated latency after which the beyond begins. But since this beyond consists in duping others into taking the same path, the children to come, and also since the first beginning is said to be pre Oedipal only to indicate that it already belongs to Oedipus as a referential axis. It is quite clear that the two ends of Oedipus have simply been closed, and that the beyond and the afterward will always be interpreted in terms of Oedipus, in relation to Oedipus, within the framework of Oedipus. Everything will be reduced to Oedipus, as the discussions on the comparative role of childhood factors and actual factors in neurosis bear out. How could it be otherwise, so long as the actual factor is conceived of in this form of the afterward? continuing to uh, have critiques over the standing use of Oedipus. At this point, it feels like he's uh, tarrying directly. They're directly tarrying with uh, uh, some Lacan. Any comments, questions, anything at all?
1: Yeah, I suppose it's worth mentioning that, like, in this paragraph, you can actually see what they're getting at later with the, I mean, they're going to give the three paralogisms kind of an easy moniker. but right there, right? And since the beginning, always preceded by twos. This is even the necessary condition for rendering escape impossible. A first pre-Oedipal beginning is invoked, quote, the primitive non-differentiation, the most precocious stage of the personality, end quote, in relationship with the mother. Then a second beginning is invoked, Oedipus itself, with the law of the father and exclusive difference. It's like already, right, in the first one, you're seeing how could, that detached object comes into play. Right. And where I just, I bring you're seeing the distribution of the law of the father upon the socius and that, as we've been talking about, when it comes into this latency and everything, we're getting into that third synthesis where the subjectivity is produced or in terms of the paralogism, right, where it's sort of, where it's placed in this relationship with something like, um, the master signify, right? Where it's not just represented, but it's actually acted upon
0: by that. Any uh, questions at this point, please type in chat. Uh, we're here. Uh, if, you, if you're on YouTube watching, you can also type in the chat. We're taking questions just generally. It's an open thing. No one cares ask anything. No one cares at all. What we know in point of fact, the actual factors are there from childhood and that they determine the libidinal investments in terms of breaks and connections that they introduce into the family. Over the heads of the fam- members of the family, and underneath, it is desiring production and social production that manifest, through the childhood experience, their identical natures and their differing regimes. In this regard, let us consider three important works about children. <sighs> oh, God. L'Enfant by Jules Valls. Okay. This is terrible. I'm so sorry, everyone who's French. I'm so sorry. Bas Le by Georges Darien and Mort à by L F Celine. Was I even remotely false, Michael? Please, please, oh fucking please, thank you. So it's L'Enfant by Jules Valès, les cœurs uh, by Darien, and Mort à by Celine. Excellent. Excellent. In the final version of this, I will edit myself out and you will be suddenly me for like just a quick bit. Uh, it'll be seamless, I promise, to nobody. Wow, oh. Brooks. And don't ask really me really good why curl is pronounced curl because it makes no sense. Who, who else? Someone was making another joke there.
2: Uh, I was just going to say, wow, you have really good pronunciation, Brooks.
0: Uh, there we go. I'll edit that in uh, as well to the final version. Uh, Webcam parrot, you had something else to say?
2: just something along the same lines what a beautiful accent brooks
0: i'm Uh, I'm blown away Oh, i do what i can i'm just gonna uh, it's gonna be uh, i'm actually gonna do that on the editing it's gonna be great Uh, to continue in them we see how bread money dwelling place social promotion bourgeois and revolutionary values wealth and poverty oppression and revolt social classes political events Metaphysical and collective problems. What does it mean to be able to breathe? Why be poor? Why are there rich people? Form the investments in which the parents merely have a role as agents of a special production or anti production. Always grappling with other agents that they express all the less as they are increasingly at grips with them in the heaven and hell of the child. As the child says, why? Freud's rat-man does not wait until he is a man to invest the rich woman and the poor woman who constitute the actual factor of his obsession. For inadmissible reasons, the existence of an infantile sexuality is denied, but for hardly more admissible reasons, this sexuality is reduced to desiring mommy and wanting the place of the father. The Freudian blackmail is this. Either you recognize the Oedipal character of infantile sexuality— or you abandon all positions of sexuality. Uh, The double bind once again. Uh, And I think I'm going to just dive straight forward again, uh, because I think this continues nicely. And yet, not even in the shadow of a transcendent phallus are the unconscious effects of a signified, established throughout the determinations of a social field, On the contrary, it is the libidinal investment of these determinations that situates their particular use in desiring production, and the comparative operation of this production with social production. Whence derived the state of desire and its repression, the distribution of the agents, and the degree of oedipalization of sexuality. Lacan explains well how, in terms of the crises and the ruptures, within science— There is a drama for the scientist that at times goes as far as madness and that would have no way of including itself in the Oedipal apparatus, unless by calling it into question, by way of a consequence. In this sense, every child is a little scientist, a little cantor. Go back through the course of the ages, you will never find a child caught in a familial order that is autonomous, expressive, or signifying. Even the nursing child in his games, as in his feedings, his chains, and his meditations, is already caught up in an immediate desiring production where the parents play the role of partial objects, witnesses, reporters, and agents, in a process that outflanks them on all sides, and places desire in an immediate relationship with a historical and social reality. It is true that nothing is pre-Oedipal, and that what we must take Oedipus back to That we must take Oedipus back to the earliest stage, uh, earliest age, but within the order of a repression of the unconscious, it is equally true that everything within the order of production is anedible, and that there are non-edible, anedible currents that begin as early as Oedipus and continue just as long, with another rhythm, in a different mode of operation, in another dimension with other uses of syntheses that feed the auto-production of the unconscious. The unconscious as orphan, the playful unconscious, the meditative and social unconscious. This is going to be, this is so long. This one's huge. Um, anyone want to take a crack at doing this one? Well, I'll ask a different way. Uh, a, a few of you, I know this is your first time through this. Where in the last two paragraphs do you find yourself generally confused? Is there a thing we need to go over? Is there a comment here? Because this stuff is fairly important to understanding their critique overall of Oedipus. Again, uh, with Oedipus being a determinant thing that supposedly we have from you know normalized existence as a human and uh, needs to be how we form to the way that we grow within classic psychoanalysis to be healthy, where we po- properly triangulate ourselves. Their argument here continuing that the social determinations of the parents, yes, they affect, but they are ultimately partial objects. They are part of what a child is dealing with at any time. Uh, Daddy is dealing with a million things. Mommy is as well. And the child is not, you know, blind to these things. He's he's seeing them, he's noticing, and he's dealing with them as well. Uh, he or she or they. It's just I'm not a child. Um uh, the the child as they as they grow is is having all of these things come into their desiring production and dealing with it. Uh, the line I really love is uh, the parents play the role of partial objects, uh, witnesses, reporters, and agents in a process that outflanks them all si- on all sides and places desire in an immediate relationship with a historical and social reality. Uh, that is a huge uh, thing. Why are they referencing scientists specifically? Uh, do you mean Cantor as an example? Is that who specifically you're coming at? So um, so Cantor specifically, um, I, I don't know if it's necessarily that I would say like, uh, George Cantor was like a scientist, like his, his entire sort of theory and the famous things he set uh, with is, uh, let me go to it real quick. Uh, set theory. Set set theory. I wanted to do a mini explanation, but you know what? Webcam. Would you like to do a tiny version?
2: Um, it's just the he wanted to to expand mathematics because he thought that the foundations of maths were too fragile, and so he basically set out this process by which things can be organized into sets, um, including things like higher infinities and and other stuff. That's like a basic description.
0: I I think the reference here is uh, that every child is a little scientist, a little cantor there, there are references to a lot of things when it comes to science and it's not just within this text, but throughout a, a lot of their others is uh, a scientist in the way that they talk. I think this is think This is just blah, blah, blah. Me. Um, the child has a way of, uh, divining and sort of studying, asking questions, and continually trying to break things down. That's the thing they start here, where they say the child's, uh, the previous chapter, um, and the child says, why? That, I think, is kind of their reference, a little cantor, cantor asking why, and kind of breaking down sort of how mathematics works and playing with some things that people didn't play with before, um, is how I sort of read that. it said, Lacan explains well how in terms of the crises and ruptures within science, there is a drama for the scientist that at times goes as far as madness and that, quote, would have no way of including itself in the Oedipal apparatus unless by calling it into question. Uh, the, By way of consequence, uh, this in this sense, every child is a little scientist, a little Cantor. And I think Cantor just being a great example of a scientist, I think is why they bring it up here. Not positive. There was a set theory of infinity. There's a great uh, book about the whole thing. Raymond Smullyan wrote called uh, Satan, Cantor, and Infinity. It's a little journey through Cantor's mathematical and logic theory. It's really well done. Um, uh, Just as a sort of thing. That's my, that would be how I would read that. that. That's the, his theory on infinity, like his generalized work, uh, fucked with the idea of God. Like, if we want to talk about like how it hit culturally, um, God is the only thing that is infinite. And Cantor said, kind of proved the opposite. Uh, and that's kind of a big, that was kind of a big deal. And so it's, what is the absolute nature of infinity? It was only God has that. Well, that's not true. Here's some other examples. And uh, this sort of idea of transfinite numbers uh this is uh, i that's what the footnote reference is so i have to assume uh that that's kind of what they're referencing here i don't know that's gonna be worth diving into
1: yeah i mean i think the big thing so in chapter four they'll get into science and art more directly so you'll see them walk out what science does in terms of like uh the, the potential science has, right? So the Deleuze and Guad are a little unique here in the sense that they don't just say like, right, so you've got to focus on art. Um, they, they're also going to include science there. You might even say this is a little bit of the influence of something like pragmatism on them. But I think the line that really helps is, it is equally true that everything within the order of production is anedible. And there there are non edible and edible currents that begin as early as Oedipus, Continue just as long with another rhythm in a different mode of operation in another dimension with other uses of syntheses that feed the out of production of the unconscious. The unconscious is orphaned, the playful unconscious, the meditative and social unconscious. So they're playing on this idea of the child and the unconscious, right? Where just like in the Oedipal triangle, right? the, The child is kind of the focus of an Oedipalization. that operation so right we're talking about the unconscious being oedipalized here more directly playing the role of child but at the same time right uh in terms of playfulness in terms of its self-production creating itself right the unconscious orphans itself from that very uh structure right from that encapsulation
0: thank you yeah i think we're gonna have to take a I'm going to have to dig into uh, Cantor and how this plays through with all of this, because it's uh, not something I fully know. The Oedipal operation consists in establishing a constellation of bi-univocal relations between the agents of social production, reproduction, and anti-production on the one hand, and the agents of the so-called natural reproduction of the family on the other. This operation is called an application. It is as if a tablecloth were being folded, as if its four plus n corners were reduced to three plus one to designate the transcendent factor performing the operation. From that moment, it is a foregone conclusion that the collective agents will be interpreted as derivatives of, or substitutes for, parent figures in a system of equivalence that rediscovers everywhere the father, the mother, and the ego and one merely pushes the difficulty into the background when one considers the system as a whole and then makes it depend on the transcendent term, the phallus. There we have a faulty use of the conjunctive synthesis leading to the statement, So it was your father, it was your mother. It is not at all surprising that the only afterword is it, uh, it is not at all surprising that only afterward is it discovered that all of this was the father and the mother, since this is assumed to be the case from the beginning, but is subsequently forgotten repressed, though still subject to a later rediscovery in relation to more recent developments. Whence the magic formula that characterizes by univocalization, the flattening of the polyvocal real in favor of a symbolic relationship between two articulations. So that is what this meant. Everything is made to begin with Oedipus by means of explanation, with all the more certainty as one has reduced everything to Oedipus by means of application. Yeah. If anyone... Uh, I'm not going to even attempt to translate that. What? Why would you put in... Whatever, it's fine. Uh, does anyone... Who speaks French have the English version with the the reader would enjoy the parody of the psychoanalytic logic. There, I think the quote, the thing he's saying here is that that sentence is a joke. Said the the way to think about this is a biunivocal is uh, basically the reduction of the meaning of these things into uh, let's call it flattening. Uh, when we have a polyvocal, uh, many voiced mini-voiced uh, system for a bi-univocal, which is a reduction of two than one, essentially, basically forming everything into a single voice. We're talking about eliminating a great deal of color, a great deal of uh, reality and experience behind that. The establishing of a constellation of bi-univocal relations uh, and the agents of uh, on both sides uh, reduce the polyvocal to this very specific stuff. Um, this means that you have a problem with your boss. It means your father. It's a, instead of dealing with the larger social problems that may be that it's well, where you live in America, your boss has the ability to fire you. You're sick. You have no choice but to be on your company's healthcare care plan. But your boss hasn't, you know, allowed you to work overtime because you need to make a couple extra bucks because you really want to take vacation time. But the reality is that there's a generalized social pressure at your workplace. So you really can't take time. You know, you work at one of those companies where your boss says, well, actually, we have unlimited paid time off. You take as much time as you need. There's no penalty, but no one takes any at this point like that. Oh, no, it's uh, it's your father. That's it. I think that's kind of, that's it. Um, it's a problem. <laughs> it's, a, it's a significant problem.
1: Uh, yeah, I really like the sum, the magical formula they give, right? The magical formula characterizes by univocalization, the flattening of the polyvocal reel in favor of a symbolic relationship between two articulations. So that is what this meant. So at one level, you've got them playing on Lacan going from, right? So like Deleuze and is polyvocal real to kind of like the sort of Lacanian symbolic there. But at the other level, right, you've got this point about the third synthesis. So that's what it was, right? If we go back to all the way back to 1.3, so that's what it was uh, becoming. So that's what this meant, right? So that point about uh the 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 polyvocal here becoming sort of encapsulated by uh something in the symbolic right or more so like the difference going on in that sort of uh signifying chain or that uh, that assemblage getting encapsulated in something that's supposed to sort of represent it but not simply represent it right to give it its meaning i think is the more um the more apt way to look at it, that it no longer speaks for itself in the sense it's spoken for.
0: It's a great way of putting it, Jack. Thank you. Um,
1: I should say too. I should say, so they are no longer spoken for. (laughs) I might be my one little semantic error there.
0: Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, Semantics is fun. Uh, To continue, uh, because I think it gets into that only in appearance is Oedipus a beginning, either as a historical or prehistorical origin, or as a structural foundation. In reality, it is a completely ideological beginning, for the sake of ideology. Oedipus is always and solely an aggregate of destination fabricated to meet the requirements of an aggregate of departure constituted by a social formation. It can be applied to everything, in that the agents and relations of social production and the libidinal investments corresponding to them are made to conform to the figures of familial reproduction. In the aggregate of departure there is a social formation, or rather these social formations—the races, the classes, the continents, the people, the kingdoms, the sovereignities, Joan of Arc and the great Mongol, Luther and the Aztec serpent— in the aggregate of destination, there remains only daddy, mommy, and me. That last sentence is a fantastic way to break that down. It's where you start, you got all this shit. In the aggregate of departure, there's this extraordinary tapestry. Um, and their examples, I think, are actually wonderfully wide. It's a Joan of Arc and the Great Mongol, Luther and the Aztec Serpent. Somehow, it, that ends up as daddy, mommy, me, which is. Uh, I think more to their point, the absurdity of that. Well, and this is where I've really
1: struggled, especially during our first reading, because it's something I'm trying to figure out as we read through again, is this idea of, is the molar really the paranoiac? That is to say, like, in terms of the socius and everything, in terms of territoriality is being established, right? Is it necessarily um, paranoiac and paranoiac? When I read things like this, it seems to me that when I talk about Joan of Arc and the Great Mongol here, and this is really just the third synthesis, right? But at this level, of the molar, it seems like you have this sense of, um, right, in, in all these points of departure, you have this sense of polyvocity in that, right? And that in and of itself, at the point of arrival, which is a nice play on Ken's here, right, in terms of that aggregation, uh, becomes etymologized, right? It plays upon that. And that tension's always interesting to me in this, particularly in these the second and third chapters, is the relationship of the molar, the paranoiac,
0: and, um, and the territory here. That's great. To continue, uh, because it does continue the point. Thus, it must be said of Oedipus, as well as of desiring production. It is at the end, not at the beginning, but not at all in the same fashion. We have seen that desiring production was the limit of social production, always thwarted in the capitalist formation, the body without organs at the edge of the deterritorialized socius, the desert at the gates of the city. But it is urgent, it is essential, that the limit be displaced, rendered inoffensive, and that it pass or seem to pass into the social formation itself. Schizophrenia, or desiring production, is the boundary between the molar organization and the molecular multiplicity of desire. This limit of deterritorialization must now pass into the interior of the molar organization, and it must be applied to the factitious and subjugated territoriality. We are now able to surmise what edifice signifies. It displaces the limit. It internalizes the limit rather a society of neurotics than one successful schizophrenic who has not been made autistic. Oedipus, the incomparable instrument of gregariousness, is the ultimate private and subjugated territoriality of European man. Moreover, the displaced exercise limit or border shifts to the interior of Oedipus between its two poles. a so, big statement time. Hot take time. Um... So some terms they brought up that uh, we haven't gone over a deep amount is uh, the molecular and the molar, uh, the orders of regimes, which I think we're going, did we get into that already or do we have a little bit more? I think the regimes, isn't that
1: like 1-7 they
0: go into that? I think they went into it a bit. Uh, yes, I think it comes up a significant amount more uh, during 3 and on, Um so we're talking about uh, basically the multiplicity of desiring machines and where it connects and where it becomes social machines, where social machines sort of start. And it's not a hard line. This is a this is language and the limits of language used to talk about something that's very uh, sort of outside of representation. I think. So it's about uh, as they're talking about now the goal of Oedipus. What it does is it's not something that is a social construct. Instead, it actually is internal. It, it, it moves, internalizes, and changes the limit there. Uh, it plays inside of that space. Uh, Oedipus, the incomparable instrument of gregariousness, is the ultimate private and subjugated territoriality of European man. It's a fucking hell of a statement. Um, as is, better to have a society of neurotics than one successful schizophrenic who hasn't been made autistic. They will go into that point uh, quite a bit, and they have already, as they've talked about, uh, how a society can't survive with one true desire, I think is one of the ways that they say that. Um, any comments, questions on this paragraph? It's a, it's a difficult one. Uh, why would they want a society of neurotics to know, oh, that's not what they want. Uh, it's what society wants. So it's a, a schizophrenic because a schizophrenic isn't able to basically deal with large, they'll get into this. Uh, so I'm kind of jumping ahead. Uh, but a schizophrenic doesn't deal with uh, hierarchy properly, we'll say. Um, And so with psychoanalysis, it's better that they're able to find people to adjust into society, and the way to adjust into society is to become Oedipalized. Now, when you become Oedipalized, there's a handful of things that end up happening to you, a lot of stuff, and one of those directions is the neurotic. And I won't go too deep into sort of uh, psychoanalytic history, but the neurotic is seen to be better than being a schizophrenic, uh, uh which is fucking wild. Uh, but, uh, that's, that's absolutely true because at least a neurotic has the ability to somewhat function within, uh, the society and, and deal with life and be able to have conversations and properly triangulate mommy, daddy, me, the psychotic, uh, is able to fit within society within some level of norms A schizophrenic moves between things. It's a, he, as they said earlier, I am a black, I am this, I am a white man, I'm a woman, I'm Joan of Arc, I am a, I, I'm Abraham Lincoln, I'm also John Wilkes Booth. Like They leap between social constructs and norms. It makes it impossible for them to function in our society, as I'm putting in air quotes. Um, and yes, they'll get into essentially, Rimkey that this is about creating people who are productive for society, not productive in the productive sense psychoanalysis at, at its root and I mean if you go back and you read Freud it is very much about him how do we oh my god look at all these very sick people they don't have the ability to have a bourgeois life with a mom and a dad and everything I feel awful maybe I should develop a thing that makes them have a good healthy life with a mom and a dad by my weird fucked up European fairly wealthy white guy standards and uh that's what he did
1: you want to be a bit careful there in terms of creating productive people for the system, right? Because I mean, keep in mind the body without organs produces a surplus value, right? I mean, they're, I I hesitate to be there only because it seems to move into like a more classic Marxism, right? Uh, To walk it out just a little bit more. I mean, the part I focus on is we are not able to surmise what Oedipus signifies. It displaces the limit, it internalizes the limit. Rather, society of neurons, the one successful schizophrenic who has not been made autistic. Oedipus, right? So we've read this enough times. I, I don't need to say it again. But when they're talking about this displacement of the limit, I mean, they're talking about like the deterritorialized um, socius, the body without organs, right? the 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 meeting point of the molar and the molecular in a sense where they have this pass this um passing through between the socius and the the body without organs right so i think the thing here is that with with what oedipus is doing here it's not just creating productive members it's i think more about because even the unconscious produces itself to begin with. So production there, I think it's a little, a little bit misleading.
0: Well, so let me actually continue because the next paragraph, uh, I think answers it a little bit more cleanly with some examples. Um, One word here on the disgrace of psychoanalysis in history and politics. The procedure is well known. Two figures are made to appear the great man and the crowd. One then claims to make history with these two entities, these two puppets, the Great Crustacean and the Crazy Invertebrate. Oedipus is placed at the beginning. On the one side, there is a great man defined Oedipoli, so he killed the father in a murder without end, either to annihilate him and identify with the mother, or to internalize him, to take his place or reach a reconciliation, with a host of variations in detail that correspond to neurotic, psychotic, perverse, or normal solutions, that is, to say solutions of sublimation. In any case, the great man is already great because, for good or for evil, he has found a certain original solution to the Oedipal conflict. Hitler annihilates the father and unleashes in him the forces of the bad mother. Luther internalizes the father and reaches a compromise with the superego. On the other side, there is the crowd, also defined Oedipally by means of parental images of a second order this time collective. The encounter can therefore take place between Luther and the 16th century Christians, or between Hitler and the German people, with corresponding elements that do not necessarily imply identity. Hitler plays the role of father through homosexual transfusion and in relation to the female crowd. Luther plays the role of woman in relation to the god of the Christians. Naturally, to ensure against the historian's justified anger, the psychoanalyst specifies that he is concerned only with a certain causal order, that one must take other causes into account, but that he alone cannot do everything. Besides, he deals just enough with other causes, so as to give us a foretaste, he takes into account the institutions of a particular period, from the 16th century church to 20th century capitalist power if only to see them in parental images of yet another order, associating the father and the mother, who will then be disassociated and otherwise regrouped within the action of the great man and the crowd. It hardly matters whether the tone of these books is orthodox Freudian, culturalist, or Jungian. Uh, I would continue this to say a great deal of our social commentary that has been about, uh, let's talk about America, about Trumpism is about having a strong father figure and how the crowd demands one. And that Trump's issues stem from his relationship with... It's 100% the shit you saw. Like, everyone fucking saw this. I'm not the only person. It's extraordinary. Um, and it's, the again, removing all of the contingent social historical realities of any given moment and replacing it with, well, it's mommy, daddy. Oh, oh no, we're going to take into account the larger, you know, mommy state or dad state or fatherland or motherland which is uh just continues the same shit
1: and this is kind of what i'm i'm getting at is like i guess what i'm saying is you got to focus on what's happening to unconscious production not to say so much that like this is about making people productive i think it's more so about how production has affected because even with your example of trump right i mean this was the big thing with his uh, i think it's his niece married trump right where she does talk about like a certain uh between, uh, I think it's Frank and Donald, right? Frankie and Donnie as the two are. And this is kind of the point too. I mean, like, are we trying to get at Donald Trump has been edipalized and the people are oedipalized and this is what's going on, right? Because now we're doing kind of what, you know, the anti-psychiatrists kind of do, right? I mean, this is kind of their critique of looking things in this perspective. On the contrary, if we're talking about the production of the unconscious in the way that something like Oedipus or more so, um, the the three paralogisms play on the the unconscious production, this starts to open up a different way of talking about uh, not only Trump, but what's going on within any territory, right? No, no,
0: completely. I'm, I'm... Uh, my commentary is not that I think Donald Trump's been edipolized, but that I was shitting on the media for basically that was the way people discussed it. If you went to Reddit or Twitter, people had that as the standard bearer for how all of these people think that they were they were thinking about it in edipalized terms. Uh, they were having a larger conversation, and it was uh, I found it uh, disheartening that they went there when in reality, yes, there's a secondary later, and there, there there's a secondary nature to this that they're talking about here where. We need to understand that how Oedipus works on the unconscious, but that it is not hyper and therefore not the only reality, uh, but it, it's a component of it, but it's not the only reality of how these people form or how crowds form or the great man.
1: Right. Because when they say Oedipus displaces and internalizes the limit, I mean, this is kind of it, right? At the body without organs or this limit of the socius and that, right? when Oedipus displaces it, right? So it's kind of uh, dispossessed, if you like. It's been um, sort of um, made oblique, right? But at the same time, Oedipus comes to sort of internalize that, is to say, like, all of a sudden, at this point of arrival, that's what we're trying to deal with, to sort of find the body without organs in Oedipus, right? And I think this, this shift is really one of the fascinating things that Oedipus, in this sense, is able to accomplish, right? Not only in creating a teleology, but in that displacement and internalization.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Uh, to continue, uh, we're going to go for probably another. Oh God, how close are we? Oh, we're not even. Yeah, fuck. Do we go two and a half hours? That's my question. Uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, it's four pages. I'm gonna uh, toss a poll. Uh, and we'll get a vote. And we'll just go until I'm done. If I vote up or down, uh, up if you're up for continuing. If you're not going to be here, I'm just, if it's going to be like most people aren't here, that's fine. We'll do four, and then we'll do a discussion around the entire chapter next time. That's That's been, that's been decided.
1: While it's being voted, I just want to point out what cool kids So It's interesting that the modern colloquial usage of the term neurotic and the old psychedelic version of it, right? Nowadays, neurosis is seen as a reception, as an exception rather than a law or some kind of personality trait. I think you make a good point there because it used to be neurotic, was like where you were either neurotic or psychotic, and it was kind of this condition. But now it's kind of become like a person. It really is a personality trait in the big five, I think. So it's just kind of interesting. It's sort of gone from like the
0: normativity of it's actually shifted. All right. I'm going to take the uh, poll uh, right now as we are going to hold up. And we, what we will do is we are going to pause right here. Uh, next week, we will continue from here. And then we will do a review of this entire section. Uh, so it will be a, probably a shorter stream next time, hour, hour and a half. We will continue the four pages and then we'll do a review of the entire thing as kind of a summary, which I think is a good idea given that this is now a three, four week thing. Fuck, this this section. Uh, last time it took us, uh, it was four or five, five parts, so uh, we're doing better. Uh, but please, uh, what I would like, if you would, uh, as a favor to me, as a favor to Brooks, your your beloved reader, uh, please write down a question or two and uh, things you want answered. It can be completely anonymous. It's not a big deal. I don't give a shit. You can message them directly to me, post them in the uh, Anti-Oedipus the Deleuze chat. Any of that's fine uh, so we can have stuff that we know we need to go over because this is not an easy section. The other sections are, I don't want to say easy, they're easier. This is a lot of Freud and a lot of psychoanalysis and a lot of critique. So please uh, get questions prepared and we will see you all next week and we'll see uh, how this turns out.